name we all said, amen. Awesome. You guys may be seated. This morning, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. I'm going to do something a little fun and different this morning as um, we read Luke's Gospel. What I would like to do is read the, the first few verses of the Beatitudes beginning in Luke chapter 6. Go ahead and look at verse 20. And what we're going to do this morning, we're going to try something different, is I'm going to read the even number verses out loud, and then you guys are going to read the odd number verses out loud. And for the odd number verses... I would like my dad to kind of lead you guys in reading the odd number verses so you could read them in unison. Listen it for his voice. In Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 20, we're going to go to from verses 20 all the way to verse 26. So I'm going to read again the even number verses, and then my dad's going to read the odd number verses and read along out loud with him. Are you guys ready? All right, so I'm going to start with verse 20. It says, Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. But woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. Jesus here is teaching one of the most famous sermons ever given the Beatitudes last week we studied on how we were to be as Christians and how we were not to be as Christians we saw how the kingdom of God to a believer was called for us to be meek to be righteous to be broken and to be set apart that's how we were to be And Jesus also taught that the believer was not to be greedy for the world. That the believer was not to be full with sin or satisfied in sin. Not to be joyful in iniquity. And 
that the believer was not gonna be loved by everyone. You see, the kingdom of God, it's flipped upside down compared to what our world society believes in. Now, this morning's text, as I was studying it, it's almost identical to Matthew chapter five. But it's not as detailed. Matthew's gospel has quite a few differences in regards to the account. Now, many scholars actually believe that this is actually a different preaching that Jesus gave. That it wasn't the same lesson, but actually a separate lesson with the same message. You see, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount after going up on a mountain and sitting down. But here in Luke's gospel, chapter 6, he delivers this sermon on a plane after coming down from a mountain and standing on a level place. Luke's record doesn't contain the extended teaching of Jesus's on the law and those four woes that we just talked about, how we were not to be as believers. So the audience in Matthew came from different places than the audience in Luke's gospel. So what that tells me is that if this is a different time that Jesus taught this message, that I recognize that he taught people with a different sermon than those in Matthew chapter five, meaning he was being personal with his audience, that he didn't just give someone the exact same message that he did another person. He wanted to meet them where they were at. Jesus wanted to say to something to them personally And I believe and I know that God has something he wants to say to you personally. Now, as students of the word, there's there's a skill in receiving a Bible study to engage and to comprehend what God is saying, what the scripture says, and what the preacher is speaking, and then what God is telling you individually, personally. So may we ask the Holy Spirit to enable us to learn from Jesus personally this morning. Let's begin with verse 27. It says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. So here it is, ladies and gentlemen, one of the hardest verses in the Bible for us to do. Love your enemies. Yesterday, I went to Chipotle and got a burrito. And as the young lady was wrapping my burrito, it ripped and slightly exploded because they they stuffed those things pretty thick. And uh, it seemed as though she tried to brush it off and just wrap it up with the foil rather quickly so I wouldn't see it. But I I stopped her and said, oh, excuse me, can you please wrap that with a second tortilla over that one? And she charged me the 25 cents and then looked at me and just had this face like I was wrong for doing so. And I could just sense, and I said, I'm so sorry. You know what? Would you mind if, if you could just please wrap this tortilla, another tortilla on that? I said it very, I tried to be as nice as possible because I knew I was being that guy at the moment. And she just had this 
dirty look on her face where I was like, oh, I'm sorry, is that like a big like deal? Like, is that a problem? She goes, no. And just silence. And then in that moment, I was just like, like just customer service, come on, you know? And I, it was, it's hard to love people when they're hateful towards you. It's hard to love your enemies. The word used here for love, it's agapeo, which is that selfless, unconditional, divine love of God. Loving without condition. The word for enemy, it's someone who is hateful, hostile, and opposing, like the Chipotle girl. (laughs) Now notice that Jesus is not saying that as believers, we are not going to have enemies. We are going to have enemies in our life. Jesus is saying that because we are Christian, we're going to have enemies. And because we are Christian, we must love them the way that God loves. How does God love? God doesn't love you by letting you do whatever you want. God loves you by never leaving you, by never forsaking you, and while you are still in sin. That is the unconditional love that God has for us, that he will even chasten us when we are going astray because he wants us to be close to him. He knows that he is the best thing for us. Jesus says, again, do good to those who hate you. You see, we are to put this love in action. We are to do good. It can't be just words, word service. If you tell your wife or your fiance, I love you, and then you go on to belittle and then ignore in this relationship consistently, if you don't feed her tacos when she wants them, you're not acting in love. You're not doing the action. It's just word service. Oh, I love you, but I'm not going to get you tacos from the taco truck. (laughs) Am I hungry this morning? What's going on? But you see, there needs to be those actions. And there needs to be an active selflessness, an unconditional love toward even our enemies. This shouldn't be that false type of love, that false type of kindness either, that's sarcastic or disingenuous. You see, when I used to work at In-N-Out Burger, and we used to get very sometimes just hard to deal with customers who were very rude, I would at times try to go out of my way to kill them with kindness. But my heart in killing them with kindness wasn't to really be kind to them. It was I wanted them to feel bad for the way that they had treated me. So I wanted to go over the top so that they can feel like they were evil. (laughs) So when someone would be mean to me, I would like just try to love on them and and make them see how wrong they were. But see, even in that, it was disingenuine. I wasn't being kind because I wanted to be kind to them for selfless reasons. I wanted them to feel bad. 
You see, we can't have that type of love. Again, in verse 28, he says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. That word bless, it means, oh, how happy. So this is to make someone happy. And those who are bringing doom and cursing in our lives, we're supposed to try to make them happy. You know, is someone running their mouth off at you at work, at home, in your family? We're to bless them. I could feel us saying, how? (laughs) How do we do this, Salvador? It's by the power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. It's the only way. Pray for those who wrongly use you. You see, when you pray for someone, it's kind of hard to curse them. When you're thinking about someone and you're just like, oh, I just, I hate them, just start praying for them. And as you're praying for them, when you're led by the Holy Spirit, it's going to be kind of hard for you to start thinking that those hatred thoughts, those anger thoughts towards them. And we're to love those who even curse us, the Bible says. Again, at In-N-Out Burger, I remember working with this young man who was just very crude. And he knew I was a a believer. He knew I was a Christian. And one day, in in an attempt to try to bring me down to his level of crudeness, he spontaneously came up to me in the back room and was like, what's up? Beep. And I was like, what the heck? And he's like, and I just looked at him and he's like, hey, call me a beep. And I was like, what? And he's like, do it, man. Just just yell back at me. Like, don't you don't need to be like, you know, all holy roller. If I call you something, call it back. And I was like, I can't do it. Like in this moment, I was kind of like angry. But I knew that the Lord was telling me to love on this guy. And so just the Lord just put the words in my mouth because he said, why? Why can't you do it? And I just looked at him in shock and I just said, because I love you, man. And I just saw it in his face of like, okay. Like he, he in that moment realized like, okay, this guy is genuine. And, and he, after that, it was weird. He like totally just kind of wanted to be my friend after that, which was cool. The Lord used that moment. Um, you know, sometimes we, we need to be able to, to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Let's look at verse 29. It says, To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Now, this verse, we constantly hear this verse, to turn the other cheek. Now, one thing to note is that Jesus is not telling his disciples this proverb in a literal sense. This is a proverbial expression. Because later on, you're going to see Jesus get struck. And when he is struck in John 18, verse 22 and 23, I'll read this to you. It says, And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, do you answer the high priest like that? 
Jesus answered him, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? You see, when Jesus was struck on the cheek, on the face, he answered the Pharisee for hitting him. And the same with the apostle Paul. In Acts 23, verse two and three, it says, and the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. I feel more like Paul. (laughs) Sometimes you want to yell back. But the point here is when someone was to strike you on the cheek to offer them the other also, this is a term rather to bear in patience an offense. When someone insults you, when someone offends you, that we were not to seek revenge. And in both of those cases, Jesus wasn't seeking revenge. The point was not to strike back in anger. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says in verse 6 and 8, But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. You see, sometimes we get in these arguments and we feel like we need to be the victor in the argument. We feel like we need to be justified and we need to be made right and we need to tell that other person why they're wrong and make sure that we are left justified. But in doing so, we will sin to get there. We will be hateful and bitter in order to get that justification. Paul was telling the Corinthians, just let yourself get the wrong done to you and you be right before the Lord. You see, we cannot control another person's actions, but we can control ours. We can control our reaction when somebody offends us. I think as a country, we're easily offended nowadays. And as believers, you're going to be offensive to people. There are biblical principles that our world hates. Believing that abortion is sin is offensive. Believing that homosexuality is sin is offensive. Believing that a man is the leader in his home is offensive. But this is what the Bible teaches. I didn't make these rules. God did. So the way that the world responds when they are offended is they offend back. They silence the opposing belief and they don't want to hear that opposing belief. Now this whole cancel culture issue, we we hear about it nowadays. I kind of want to just briefly talk about it just for a moment because it, it does relate to the believer's life. To grow in maturity If someone has a viewpoint that differs from yours, 
we need to be able to still have a discussion with them. So I have here the importance of disagreements. And I have three points on why disagreements are important in our life. Number one, disagreements are important because whoever is wrong needs a chance to change their mind. You see, when there's a disagreement, you might be the one who is wrong, who needs to have their viewpoint changed, or that other person, vice versa. Secondly, disagreements are important because echo chambers don't produce strong defenses. You say, what's an echo chamber? An echo chamber is when you gather all the same people with the same beliefs in one room and they're like, oh yeah, the current president is, is bad. And everyone's like, yeah, he is bad. Yeah, yeah, everyone's agreeing. Everyone's getting louder and louder. But then suddenly you take one of those people and you put them in a group where everyone has a different belief than them and they get real quiet. So I'm not saying nothing here. A lot of people around me who don't agree with what I believe. You see, echo chambers don't produce strong defenses. You should want to be able to defend your viewpoint, to know the truth yourself, and then be able to explain it. This helps confirm your own stance, your own belief. See, when everyone agrees, it doesn't help an individual learn to defend their viewpoint. Thirdly, the importance of disagreements is how else will the gospel be spread? For a believer, we are to use discernment when sharing the gospel in truth with love. And how will we do that if we cut off all the world and the people of the world because of their views. We need to be able to have these discussions. So do you have a disagreement with someone? You know what? Don't let that rob you of being able to love on them. Continuing in in verse 30. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. You see, it makes it easier to loan something when you make it up in your mind that you aren't going to expect it back. Because then maybe you wouldn't loan that item in the first place if it's going to get lost. Now, it's good to hope for it to be returned. But the Bible teaches that God loves a hilarious giver to give away ridiculously. The Bible also teaches us not to let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. So to give that money, that loan, not expecting it back, hoping for that it comes back. Look at verse 31. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, 
What credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. This is the golden rule. Even in secular culture, do unto others as you want them to do unto you, right? And how easy is it to love your friend and how much harder is it to love your enemies in your life? But we're called to be set apart. Just yesterday, I helped a friend move and I hate helping people move. I really do. And in my mind, I was like, well, I'm going to be moving pretty soon. So maybe I better help them because I might need a friend. And the Lord reminded me, hey, he might not help you. Do this because I'm sending you. Do this to show love. So I helped this guy and it was a really easy actually experience. There's a bunch of us doing it. But I was blessed to help someone. To not expect anything in return. You know, I, I believe in relationships. That's how many youthful relationships start out. Is I'm going to do something for you expecting to gain something back. And that's a selfish type of love. So may we ask that Jesus would teach us to love selflessly. In verse 35, but love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. That's a crazy thought. That when we give without expecting to receive, our reward is great in heaven. You're racking up eternal blessings that can never fade away, can never be taken. And then at the end of that verse, the crazy thought is that God is kind to the unthankful and the evil. See, there's a belief that God is only good to those who are good and righteous and that he curses the sinner. This was true in Job's time, this belief that when Job was plagued, lost his family, his livelihood, all his possessions was covered from head to toe in boils. When Job was plagued, his friends came to him and they told Job, hey, you need to repent from your sin. You have some sort of secret sin in your life. But Job didn't. He was a righteous man. Satan was attacking him. But the reason why they pled with him to repent was because they believed that if you're righteous, that good things will happen to you. And that if you're a sinner, then bad things will happen to you. But that's not the case all the time. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, Jesus says, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Again, in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
So you see, there's grace and mercy in the heart of God that he loves the sinner. And there's gonna be times in our life when we see that evil people are being blessed and we're gonna question and say, why? Why is it that the evil person is blessed and here I am striving to be righteous and I am the one who's going through so much trial in my life? Like the psalmist. He complained in this same theme. He said, I I look at the wicked and, and they're prospering, but here I am struggling. And then at the end he says, but then I went into the temple of the Lord. And he remembered that God was good and that God loved him through it all. You see, if God was only good to those who did good, then we would have never gotten saved. In our sin, God wouldn't have loved us and we would have remained that way. But Christ died for us while we were sinners. Continuing in verse 36, Therefore be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. The mercy of God. How much mercy God has in your life. How much forgiveness. Think about how much you've sinned against your heavenly father. It's too much to think of, right? You have a whole lifetime to look back at. How much grace then has God shown you that you're here this morning? Yet when it comes to us showing forgiveness and grace and mercy in someone else's life, we're reluctant to do so. Do you guys know the difference between grace and mercy? What's grace? Grace is getting something you don't deserve, right? Getting favor and a blessing that you do not deserve. And mercy is not getting a judgment that you do deserve. So mercy is when God holds back the spanking. But grace is when God gives you a gift, even when you don't deserve it. In verse 37, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. So I want to talk about what this verse means and what this verse doesn't mean. Because we've heard people say, don't judge me, brother. You know? What this verse means, first of all, let's look at that. It means that as believers, we're not to make harsh judgment, taking a person's words and actions to the worst sense, to evil intention. We're not to determine a person's eternal state. You see, you have those characters in your life who you see at church, at work, maybe at school, and perhaps they seem like they're thanking the funk, you know? Like, they're like, oh, no, that guy's a fake Christian for sure. Like, look at the way she's dressed, you know? She's a fake Christian for sure. She's not real. And they always seem to be striving for some sort of gain, perhaps. So maybe we we write them off like they stink. Oh, I don't want to be around that person. I don't want to talk to them because they, they don't seem right on. 
So we write them off. And by doing this, we are actually claiming that the changing power of Jesus can't work in that person's life. And we're the ones who are actually being hypocritical because we teach and preach and believe that Jesus can change the person's life. Yet sometimes we look at people like, oh, that guy, he's always going to be that way. That girl, she's always going to be that way. Do you know why we judge people? When you look at someone failing in an area of their life and it bothers you, you perhaps think, gosh, why are they doing it that way? If I was them, I wouldn't do it that way. I would do it better. Do you know where this was first spoken? In Isaiah chapter 14, we read of Satan. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. You see, Satan was once an angel in heaven, Lucifer, beautiful angel. And he has these five I will statements. He's saying, you know what, God? I could do it better than you. I am better than you. I can go to the, be the most high. I wouldn't do it the way you're doing it, Father. You see, Satan thought he could do it better. And sometimes we think we can do it better than other people. So this is the origin of a judgmental attitude. It's satanic. So may we not be someone who is going to judge someone based on the way they are dressed, the way they talk. Now, what this verse doesn't mean, let's talk about that for a moment. Again, the verse we're referring to, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. This verse does not mean that there shouldn't be any judgment in our life. We have judges for civil and judicial courts. Those need to exist. God instituted the judges. There's a whole book called Judges because God requires and is just and needs judges. We are to judge, to determine when someone or something is bearing fruit. We are to judge ideas to be true or false, especially those concerning doctrine. We're to make our own private judgments to help us follow after holiness. So next time someone tells you, oh, you can't judge me. The Bible says you're not supposed to judge. Tell them in John 7 verse 24, it says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. 
As a Christian, what is the purpose of judgment? In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says it's for restoration. In Galatians 6, 1, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So you see, when you see someone failing in sin, if we come to them to correct them, the purpose of that correction must be so that they can be restored to Christ. Otherwise, we're just going to go at them and yell at them, be like, you're a sinner, go to hell, and then we're going to leave. But our heart needs to be one of love. In verse 38, it says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now this verse, it's practical. It's literal and it's also supernatural. You see, there is a truth that we do reap what we sow. When you sow into the spirit, you're going to reap spiritual blessing. And when you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap the corruption of the flesh. So do good and watch what you cannot outgive God. Just watch what God does when you put him to that one area that he said we could test us, him in is that when we give to God, that he won't open the heavens up and bless us even more. And it's not always going to be finances. In verse 39, and he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. See, Jesus is not likely making a direct, I'm sorry, is likely making a direct rebuke to the Pharisees right here. He's calling the Pharisees blind and that they're leading their sheep who are also blind. You see, they were blind because they were believing that their works were making them righteous. They were blind to what was truly right in the kingdom of God and they were leading their own students astray. So Jesus rebuked them. In verse 41, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove that speck that is in your brother's eye. So Jesus again gives this last little parable here for our study. That sometimes, well, and especially in the the case of the Pharisees, they were looking at the people that they would teach and they would be harsh on them. 
and say, oh, you, you need to have a, a perfect sacrifice, but your sacrifice isn't good enough, so you have to buy our sacrifices, which were their animals, which they sold at a higher price. And they were condemning people. And Jesus said, look, let me illustrate this for you, Pharisee. You guys are looking at your brother's a speck in his eye, a little tiny dot. And you're saying, hey, you need to get that speck out. You got a googie in your eye, a moco in your eye. But in reality, you have a four by four plank, a big wooden piece sticking out of your, the side of your head in your eye. And you don't get that, remove that thing first, then go talk to your brother. And that big giant four by four piece of wood in their eye was their own filthy self-righteousness that they try to live by, that they try to be made, make themselves good on. So Jesus wanted them to be rid of this self-righteousness. In verse 43, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs and thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a, bram a bramble bush. You see, the beautiful thing about producing fruit in your life is that when you're just close to Jesus, that fruit comes naturally. You don't have to strive and think of all these different things that you need to do in order for fruit to be born in your life. And fruit, just so you guys know, that's good works. Works that the Holy Spirit leads you in. The more you get closer to Jesus, it's going to naturally come out of your life. In verse 45, a good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Isn't that true? Sometimes people just say things and they don't even mean it, it or they don't even intend to say it. It's just out of the abundance of their heart, it comes out and you're like, whoa. That was in your heart, bro. Maybe it's a good thing that they said, but maybe sometimes it's a bad thing. In verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. Now look at the progression in verse 47. First, coming to Jesus is part one. The second thing, then hearing Jesus. But there's a third part of that. It's doing the things that Jesus says. See, it's not just sitting down and hearing a Bible study, but it's living it out after we leave. It's easy to be Christian on a Sunday morning during a Bible study, but it's not so easy to be Christian when the Chipotle lady doesn't wrap your tortilla right. <laughs> so may we take these lessons with us and apply them, actually doing them. In verse 48, this is who that man is like. He is like a man building a house 
who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So how do we be like that person who has that strong house on the rock, which is Christ? We come to Jesus, we hear him, and then we're obedient to him. I think that's the summary of salvation. We come to Jesus, we hear what he has to offer for us, and then by faith we accept that belief that he is Lord of our lives, calling the shots, and Savior, saving us from from hell and saving us to a purpose-filled life full of his goodness. And for this, we can now take that truth that Jesus is all-powerful and say, you know what, Jesus, your word says that you give me victory So I know that I can have victory over the judgmental attitude in my heart and mind. I know that I could have victory in loving my enemy. Let's all stand this morning. I'm going to pray and The message was, was quite clear to me as I, as I studied just loving your enemy, being rid of that judgmental mentality in our hearts and minds. This is the truth that Jesus wanted to tell us personally today. So I want to pray and just ask that the Holy Spirit would empower us to do this in our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your love and grace. Lord God, forgive us when we have hated our enemies. Forgive us, Lord, when we have judged those wrongfully. I pray, Father, that you would teach us, Lord, to have that selfless love for one another, for even our enemies. Give us a spirit of of kindness, Lord. A spirit of grace and mercy to bestow it onto other people even when they don't deserve it. May we walk in your love this week, Father, and in your grace. Prepare our way, Father, so that we can serve you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One more song. And if you'd like prayer after this worship song, go ahead and see myself, my father. You could even see Lisette. We would love to pray with you. Thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever.
For he is good, he is above all things His love endures forever Sing praise, sing praise With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm His love endures forever For the life that's been reborn His love endures forever Sing praise Sing praise Sing praise Sing praise Sing praise Forever God is faithful God is strong Forever God is with us Forever 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 God is faithful Forever God is strong Forever God is with us Forever Be blessed. We'll see you online on Wednesday night.